And we're back on this Saturday morning. Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole at his Sports Medicine Weekly. So happy you are with us and a happy holiday season, everybody. Time now for our staple of the show. We call it our Ask the Doctor segment. We're giving listeners an opportunity to have Dr. Cole address their specific sports injury issues. Very easy to get involved. Just go to our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com, and on the homepage you'll see the picture of Dr. Brian Cole and myself on the right side, click underneath that picture on the link, and it's our Ask the Doctor way. You can ask the doc a question, okay? So here we go, Dr. Cole. I got one real good one right here as we lead off our staple of the show in this segment. Is there an age cutoff, Dr. Cole, for cartilage restoration surgery in the knee? This is a good question because I get a number of patients who come in who have bone-on-bone arthritis and uh, they want to know why they're not a candidate for a cartilage transplant as an alternative, for example, to a knee replacement. And um, I will say that there's no absolute cutoff. We, when we speak about indications for surgery, we talk about relative indications and contraindications. And, you know, one thing we know is that patients age, they tend to have more damage. And when you have a lot of damage, we can't necessarily do transplants or limited surgery. They require something more. So there's a direct relationship between how old someone is and how much is wrong in their joint, if you will. So sometimes we can't um, we can't do some of the things we'd like to do in an, in an older patient that we could otherwise do in a younger patient just because the younger patient has lived with their problem less long. So a lot of our research has looked at age as a predictor for success if you're going to have a cartilage transplant. There is a general number of the age of around 35. I would tell you that I do occasionally see people in their 30s, mid-30s to late 30s, and I even have people in their 50s who might be a candidate for a transplant, but it gets less and less common because they just have too much disease. I mean, the bottom line is if you're an individual out there who's considering surgery, you want to choose something that's going to predictably lead to a good outcome, and that's the most important thing. So asking the tough questions of your physicians about things like this is really critical to to, to undergo what I call consensual decision-making. It's not just the doctor telling you what to do, but... Ask the hard questions because surgery is a big deal. You know, remember when you went through your surgery, you really want to think about it um, and ask the right questions about what the likelihood of success is. So in the area of cartilage repair where we try to find alternatives to a replacement, um, age is a, a relative consideration for sure. So you do get people coming in maybe even in their 50s, 60s, 70s and saying, Doc, am I a candidate? Would you do surgery like this, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, not infrequently. In fact, when I first started, I had to figure my office was getting overwhelmed by people who were going to my other partners to get knee replacements. And they were being properly indicated for knee replacements but coming in and saying, look, I just don't want one. Uh, and uh, do you have an alternative? And, and basically I had to start filtering that out because patients were actually getting upset because they'd come in and they're like, I really want this, and you're you know, almost to the point where we are discriminating. We're not discriminating. We're trying to really choose people wisely so that they get the anticipated results that they deserve to get if they're going to dis- introduce a surgical situation. Well, it's just like the MRI. You and I have talked about this throughout the, we've been doing the show now for nine years, and how many people say, Doc, I need an MRI? And that's uh, not up to them, yeah. it's up to you, right? Yeah, well, yeah you know, <laughs> people, I, I use this a lot. People just have to remember the MRI is a often a diagnostic tool, and most diagnoses are made by traditional basic things that we learn in medical school, the history and the physical, maybe an X-ray. And the MRI can be additive, and there are occasions where I need it to firm up the diagnosis. The other value of the MRI is to help predict how someone will do postoperatively and how much damage they might have because we're going to do, say, surgery, for example. The MRI, in, for example, in sports is, is really interesting because we use it for surveillance and it shows lots of things that people walk around with so there's, not, there's some reassurances if an injury happens. And it is very helpful for, from a, a prediction of how, pe- how quickly it'll take to get to return to sport. 
So we use MRI a lot in that setting. But that's different than if you came to my office. When I do it for professional athletes, our threshold is very low to get an MRI, and it's largely just to, to use as a predictor based upon the findings in the MRI to say, hey, this is our best guess uh, for planning purposes, both for the team, the roster, and the player, and how long it's going to take to get back to play. So don't request an MRI, right? Well, if you're I, I, people do it all the time. They do it. And they're like, you know, they don't even have X-rays in the first right. thing, and you know, they think we're often uh, less of a doctor because we don't get the MRI right away. And I always ask them. I say, look, even if I get it, I'm not sure I, I'm going to change my decision making at all at this right. point. If we fail to thrive, I can't get you better without surgery. Then we can discuss an MRI. But there's nothing I'm anticipating that's going to change my mind to recommend fixing at this juncture. Leave it up to the doc. Yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Great stuff. Let's go to our next question here in our Ask the Doctor segment. Again, it's Sports Medicine Weekly. You're listening to Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole. The website is sportsmedicineweekly.com. We have people that uh, click on that link on our website and ask the doc a question. Another one right here. It's a good one. I've never heard of this. What, Dr. Cole, is shoulder blade winging and how is it treated? Well, I, I bet you if you looked at yourself in the mirror in the, from the back, okay, and uh, you have a right shoulder that, you know, had a problem with your biceps, right? And if you elevated your arm, both your arms, you know, forward up to the sky from your side all the way straight up, you would see a difference in the way your shoulder blade moves rhythmically on the back of your arm, okay, the back of your chest, I should say. And so the, sh the scapula of the shoulder blade is sort of like the core of the upper extremity. You know, we always talk about the core of the lower extremity, which is the glutes and the abdomen, the muscles and so forth. The scapula is incredibly important because when it's not functioning normally, all sorts of things happen. And we see this most commonly in our throwers. Uh, it is the number one solution to fix a thrower's shoulder pain, and that's to do scapular strengthening. Um, there are some causes of scapular uh, problems, the way the shoulder blade moves with that are nerve-related. Uh, there's a very important muscle that can get weak easily and has a nerve going to it called the serratus anterior. It's the one that holds the shoulder blade against the chest wall. So normally when you elevate your arm, your chest wall, your scapula is stabilized to the chest wall, and there's 18 to 20-odd muscles that attach to the scapula and the shoulder blade to keep it in place. And if one of those muscles, namely the trap or the latissimus or the, or the, uh, uh, the serratus anterior, are dysfunctional, the shoulder blade moves abnormally, and that can lead to shoulder pain that can be corrected with therapy. So that's a really important thing for a physician to be able to recognize, which is why it requires doing a physical exam, actually, with your shirt off so you can actually see what's happening. Absolutely. Well, you know, when I had the shoulder surgery, and I've done a great job here coming back, I had it back in February, you did it, and uh, the one weakness I have is I'm almost back to almost full strength on my bicep curls and things, but my military presses, I feel a little weakness back there in the, yeah, the subsets. Yeah. <clears throat> Scapula? Well, it, 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 it can contribute to it because you get it, if you don't have a stable pl uh, platform, so think of it as, as a seal who's trying to balance a ball on the nose, right? Yeah. That's like the shoulder joint. Right. And in, when the seal pulls away from the ball, the ball falls to the ground, yeah. right? So the shoulder, the shoulder joint is more stable if there's balance across it. So if the shoulder blade, otherwise the seal who's balancing the ball, is out of kilter, mm -hmm. the ball doesn't stay stable, and yep. you don't have a platform that's stable for strength and so forth. So that's one sort of, you know, oversimplification, but an explanation as to why it's so important to have a very sh strong shoulder blade. So, you know, doing scapular Ys and Ws and cables and things like that are really important as part of your workout regimen to keep that strong. With the bands and different things, yep. and that's what the uh, physical yep. therapist exactly. people have uh, have discussed uh, doing. That's great stuff. Okay, and uh, let me do one more here before we run out of time. Dr. Cole, I am a runner, and my knee cracks when I bend it, but it doesn't hurt. Is this something I should be concerned about, and do I need to stop running? I would say absolutely not. In the absence of pain, swelling, 
uh, full range of motion and just that cracking sound. There's a name, it's called crepitus. It is usually uh, a, a, a nothing. In fact, most people who have this, if I looked inside their knees or their shoulders, they would have a normal joint. Uh, so there, so if people say, well, look, it's annoying. I want to get rid of it. There are some, uh, you can get it to lessen, if you will, through some strengthening exercises. But I would say if it's not associated with pain, uh, or sort of major instability events or locking or swelling, I would just tell people to ignore it. And if they don't like it, do some more strengthening. That's not a bone on bone then. No. And that's what people always think. So I have to give them reassurance. Yeah. They're worried that if they ignore this, that they're sort of grinding away at their shoulder or their rotator cuff or their joint and nothing can be. Is it cartilage then? No, it's not. It's a soft tissue issue where it's just, it's like a guitar belly that resonates and that you can hear the sound. Okay. You know, some people say, look, I can hear my knees going when I go up and downstairs. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's. The crack is okay. Yeah, cracking cracking joints are okay as long as they don't hurt or cause you any uh, disability or, or reductions in activity levels. All right, great stuff, Dr. Cole. Appreciate it. Uh, wonderful, wonderful work. And, uh, hey, have a great New Year, okay? You as well, Steve. Look forward to seeing you. Appreciate it. Many thanks to our producer. He does it all year with us, the one and only Shane Reardon. How about Tracy Taro just joining us here in the last year, our coordinating producer, a wonderful job. Also want to thank uh, the one and only David Cole for managing our website. He also does our business operations. And then there's Samantha Smith from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. For Dr. Brian Cole, my name is Steve Cashel. We thank you for listening to Sports Medicine Weekly here on The Score. Up next on The Score, Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski. We'll be back another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly next Saturday, 8 a.m., only on 670 The Score.